I'll be too nervous to. I'll probably lost the words. So another edition of the Lost Words podcast. I'm joined today by Jason. Jason, hello. Hello, mate. You're right. Yeah, good. And we've got a four-time European Tour winner, David Horsey, on with us as well. David, welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah, excited to be on. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. And uh, you've just come back from Saudi Arabia, David, where you had a, a you know blistering open round of 61. Um, how was it to then have to put the clubs down for for four or five weeks? Yeah, uh, frustrating in a way, I suppose, um, but also. Um, in another way, it was nice to sort of have a bit of time just to hone what the, the sort of feeling was. I, just, I stumbled across a feeling on the Wednesday night uh, going into the first round and rolled with it on the Thursday and obviously to great success. Um, but I didn't quite manage to follow it up with, with anything decent really for the rest of the week. So in a way, yeah, it's been nice to continue the momentum. But in another way, it's almost nice to have a bit of time now to, to sort of really hone that and, and get comfortable with it to, to make it more consistent. You've, you've had a career of, of shooting these low rounds, you know, sometimes out of nowhere, sometimes when you've been in great form. How hard is it to, to follow that up? Because we see it so often, people go out on a Thursday and lead by, you know, four or five shots or whatever, and then and they do struggle to follow it up for the rest of the week. Um, because like you say, you had a feel on Wednesday. How exciting is it to go into the, the Thursday and compete and then to try and have to follow it up, I suppose? Yeah, it's difficult to sort of reset, I suppose, and, and sort of start again when you've got a lead and I've always found that quite hard in a way. I know I've, I've sort of worn wire to wire in Denmark, but um, yeah, on the whole, I've, it's, it's quite a difficult mindset to get in more than anything. So it's trying to take control of your emotions and, and really trying to get back into the process that, that sort of allowed you to shoot such a low score the, the day before. Yeah, so and Jason, we were talking, weren't we, before uh, before David came on about how it was clear to us that the, the break of the lockdown seemed to serve David well and how he came out and played really well good golf in the, the end of 2020. Yeah, I mean, lock, lockdown came in. I know you, you sort of made a big thing and you said it in an in interview that um, you'd worked really, really hard during the lockdown. Um, but that was obviously off a rough run of form. And you came back and, and last year was a pretty decent effort um, given the time off. And there was definitely progress there. So it, what, this time, obviously, you're having a, that short the five-week break, which is a bit more than normal. You're coming off that good effort. Would you rather have gone on to somewhere like the May Bank or the Indian Open or someone like that? Or are you happy taking this time off and just honing it right so you can go bang as soon as we get back? Uh, yeah, like I said, really, just a bit twofold. I sort of like some of me wanted to continue. I mean, I wouldn't have been uh, disheartened if I'd had to carry on and play another two weeks or whatever. Generally, don't play more than three or four weeks. Well, three weeks in a row anyway. Um, I've played four weeks almost well twice or three times before and it's never really served me very well um so yeah it, it sort of it's nice i don't think at the moment the, the things that I'm, I'm working on currently are quite as drastic as they were going into lockdown last year mm. um so it, it's more about fine-tuning and finding feels to be able to play at the moment as well as obviously trying to think long term and trying to find an easier way of doing stuff I mean, off that off that 61, just just quickly, because no, Tom um, interviewed Richie Ramsey, who you'll obviously know quite, quite well last week, yeah. and he was saying that it's very mentally tiring to sleep on a lead for, for one day, two days, three days. Obviously, you've done it before, but one day, two days, three days, four days, and that's that's the key to it, rather than if you just put yourself into 30th or whatever and slowly come through the tournament and attack on a Sunday and hit your 63, 64 to get into a position, you, you've got to sleep on this overnight. 
Um, how much is that a factor? I presume it must be massive. Yeah, you just, it's pretty much all it is, really. Obviously, the game's there, um, you know, and it's trying to distract yourself and not... I mean, to be honest with you, when I think back to that Thursday night, I didn't feel... I didn't feel anything like I did, say, in Denmark, perhaps, when I won in 2015, when I was leading and then had to continue and, and managed to sort of win wire to wire. Um, but, yeah, no, I felt quite comfortable, weirdly. So, yeah, and then on the golf course, I just found myself distracted and thinking about things that shouldn't be thinking about, absolutely no relevance or control over um so that that is definitely that you know pretty much 90 percent of it is is trying to sort of get yourself back in that frame of mind that allowed you to shoot the score there before also david when you know when it comes to you know being in near the lead or in and around the lead over a weekend you, you then start to get the later tea times is that a bit of a factor as well having the the morning to kind of sort of think about it? it's not like you can go up and have an early tea time and hit the ground running you kind of got to sort of plan your day and, and practice early in the morning and, and maybe a bit of lunch and everything before you go back out yeah it's um it's quite nice actually to have a lie in to be honest <laughs> you get so many alarms beginning with a four when you're on tour these days it's uh quite nice to have a bit of time in bed um <laughs> but you know uh yeah it's it's difficult depending on how late it is i mean open championship late is obviously really hard when you sort of three three half three um but yeah generally these days we don't really tee off much past one o'clock so by the time you've got up and you've had a bit of a stretch in the gym and breakfast and whatnot it's it's almost time to go so it's a lot easier than, than waiting till till three o'clock 3 30 um but you're still almost the same sort of type theory really just try and distract yourself these days with a you know a few tv shows and if you're reading read a book or you know whatever anything you, you, that you do in your room when you're on your own to, to sort of take your mind off it yeah, absolutely. We're going to take you right back to the very beginning now, David, just to uh, just to cast your mind back to uh, your amateur days. I know Jason's got an awful lot he wants to ask you about that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, in terms of amateur career, stellar amateur career, picking up loads of sort of county championships, etc. And the Greek amateur, I can find absolutely nothing about whatsoever. Um, but, you know, absolutely littered with, with titles throughout sort of 2000 and about well, 2003, 2004 and going into six as well. But obviously... Um, you know, you reached the final of the English Amateur, um, where you shot a 64 course record, I believe, or joint course record, um, and led the stroke play event. And obviously, you went into the match play part, reaching the final uh, against James Heath, who had won at Lytham. Um, how, what were your feelings going into that final? Because it was, I presume, the biggest event that you'd you'd been in so far. Um, you know, the big anticipation. Obviously, a really good amateur set of amateurs back then you know ross fisher sam osborne you had loads of them back then what was your feeling going into that sort of final day yeah that was a bit of a surreal week i was 17 at the time no taste really of, of playing at, at that level um with some of those guys like i think i remember playing matt richardson in the semis that was a tough game like mentally more than anything because obviously a very established player at that point and one of england's probably top three so to beat him down the down the first extra hole was was very very pleasing, um, and then with, against James, I think I was five down after five as well. Um, so clearly nervous, um, but managed to battle back. And with it being a thirty-six hole final, I, I did well to sort of lose three and two. Yeah, I mean you went on, you know, you went on and decided. I, I know you were desperate to play the Walker Cup, um, and you went on to, to have a couple more years of sort of mainly amateur career. James Heath turned pro. Um, and, and obviously didn't decide to play that, that Walker Cup. Um, were you under any pressure to turn pro after reaching that final? Um, no, not really. I don't remember any anyway. I mean, I was definitely in a frame of mind of 
that was my first taste of being, you know, in contention at the top of a, a national tournament. You know, ultimately, um, I wanted more of that, and I knew my game, you know, was nowhere near ready to to compete at that level consistently. So, no, I, I can't say it really crossed my mind to turn pro at 17. Um, I'd got myself into the county squad, I think, by that point, and then England would have been sort of knocking on the door a little bit. So there was there was a pathway there that, that I could go down to gain experience and, and, and help and coaching from some of the best some of the best coaches in the world. So yeah, I can't remember ever even considering turning pro at that point. And an English golf I presume supported you all the way. I mean we've, we've interviewed various people, Toby Tree for example and people like that with, with stellar amateur careers who all praise um you know the England boys set up and the England juniors set up. Um so I presume you always had that support wherever you wanted to go. Yeah, I think my first England call-up would have been uh, the Greek amateur, funnily enough. Um, I think the first time I went, I made a bit of a mess of it. I went with a couple of other lads. Um, I can't remember the names now. Um, but just touching back on, on what you were talking about there, finding information about that, the following year I went back um, and I just felt like you know I could do a lot better than I did the year before, and I managed to get a ten-shot lead going into the last day, <laughs> and then uh, unfortunately stumbled over the line and, and only won by four. But still, a win's a win, isn't it? <laughs> so um, yeah, um, but yeah, the England setup uh, to answer your question is is fantastic, and you know back then we had a, a huge depth of, of comp- competition, and um, yeah, the coaches are fantastic. It's it's nice to do the little coaching programs that they go through in the winter I think there's four of them uh, with each squad we go over to Woodall Spa and we get um, likes of Graham Walk, Alan Thompson um, I think who else was there at the time, Dave Ridley I think was one of the head coaches at the time so you know you're exposed to, to knowledge and information that you would never have received you know back at your home club or in your county so you know all that all that stuff that you pick up along the way is golden in in terms of like your progress. There's little things that just stand out in your mind that you can take with you for the rest of your career. Yeah, absolutely. And it carries on. Uh, 06, absolutely another chest full of local local amateur competition wins, um, and a third in the South African amateur behind uh, Brandon Grace and Ollie Fisher, I believe. Um, oh wow, that surprised me actually. I didn't I don't I didn't remember that one. Do you not remember um, that one? Yeah. No, I don't remember that. What was that at Stellenbosch? It, well, could have been, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, top, top grade, com- top, absolutely top grade competition that still stands, stands the test of time 14 years later, doesn't it? You know, that leaderboard. So, uh, you know, cracking stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, you, you, you carry on remembering that one then. And then obviously 2007, which is um, the Brabazon, again, another major amateur competition. I think you led after second round and finished fourth. Um where was that at? You remember where that was at? Oh God! Don't don't ask me questions like this. <laughs> I've got you don't. You, Tom knows the way I write my notes out. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> can't read them. I said to you, I, I, I said I wonder if I remember these sort of events or not. <laughs> well, no, it's interesting because because some play, yeah, it's interesting. Some players will recall every, like literally every shot of their entire career, and I think that's just you know incredible. Um, I've actually I've actually got a log of all my amateur. Um, results but i didn't put the venues down with the results <laughs> and i was only going over the other day for um, another interview for, for a local um golf club um and yeah it was it actually it's really nice to look back and realize you know how much i actually won back then albeit small events but still it 
I'd forgotten most of them that, that I'd sort of managed to sort of pick off. So, yeah, it's nice to look back. It gives you confidence as well and, and a bit of belief that, you know, maybe I was actually quite good when I was, when I was a kid. <laughs> you got a couple of course records. Of course, um, I think the amateur course record at Lytham, I think, um, and European team event second day you hit a course record 66 there's like as, as tom says there's loads of these low low events but of course the the stellar amateur performance has to be the walker cup which which when you look back at the both teams now is uh is incredible viewing for me anyway um you you played you know extraordinarily well um obviously beat webb simpson twice um in the singles and won one of the was it the foursomes or the four balls with uh, john parry two and one beating uh keeney and uh was it uh, Carl Stanley? Stanley. Yeah. yeah. How was that? I mean, that must have been an amazing experience. Yeah, awesome. I mean, that's ultimately what every amateur waits for. Once you get to a certain level, um, you, you sort of, that's literally all, all you can do as an amateur, the biggest accolade you can sort of put on your CV. So to get selected for that was, was awesome. Um, and like you said, you know, when you look back, being leading point scorer for, for the GBNI team um, was very special. Um, and then when you look back now, I said both back at, back then, you probably wouldn't look at their team and think I think that much of it. I suppose it's only when you look back 15 years later and you see what they've all done that it becomes more and more special. So it was uh, no surprise actually that we got beat either, even though we had Rory and, and Danny Willett and um, you know Lloyd Saltman, Jamie Mole, were were both sort of very high up in, in amateur rankings at the time. So. Both teams are so strong, and it probably could have gone either way. Yeah, fantastic. Ever yeah, just losing by one, which is uh, yeah, that's just a roll of a dice, isn't it? That one, roll of a ball, roll of a putt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was I was anchorman there as well. There was me and uh, I was playing Webb in that last match. So yeah, we were coming down 17 when we got told that unfortunately we'd uh, we'd been beaten. So that sort of put a bit of bit of dud, but downer on things. Um, sort of going down the 17th. Um, but yeah, still, it was a great experience oh, and one that I'll, I'll always treasure forever. How how, um, how much of a confidence building thing is it that you were you know asked to play that role in that team on the final day? You know, putting the pressure on yourself. Obviously, you played well, which is obviously why you're in that position. But to say like you know we, we're going to rely on you to get a point, you know, when it matters the most, it must be quite a nice feeling. Yeah, it, obviously, you know, to to have the captain sort of put all his faith in you that you can bring home a point when. When, if, when and if we needed it, um, feels fantastic. And, you know, in a way, it puts more pressure on you, which at the time it was tough to deal with that pressure as it was. Um, but yeah, you, that's that's what you live for. That's what you play golf for. And, and you've got to try and embrace that. And I felt like I did um, I did that as, as well as I could and, and obviously managed to succeed at the same time. Yeah. So did you, did you feel after that week that you were kind of ready to go into the professional game? Obviously, you did straight after, I think it was a week after you turned pro, you, you won the first stage of Q score. Unfortunately, didn't get through the second stage. But was it? were you definitely ready by the time you'd finished that week at the Walker Cup? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was sort of from then. I actually played, I stayed amateur for another three days and played in the medal at my golf club <laughs> on the Wednesday because <laughs> I was off plus 5.5 at the time. And I thought, well, this is my only chance, if any, to get to plus six. And obviously, being so close, I may as well have a go and managed to shoot 67 and go up 0.1. Wow. <laughs> so that was nice. That was uh, so I ended up finishing up plus 5.4. Um, but I, yeah, to answer your question, I was I was absolutely ready. Um, going into tour school, you know, flying high, cloud nine, 
uh, managed to win that at St. Anzo Links. <clears throat> and then went to, I actually got through my management company, ISM, I got three invites to challenge tour events in the six week gap yeah. that we had between first and second stage at that point. Um, and I, I finished, I think I finished 26th, 40th and third, which got me a ranking for the following year on challenge tour. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously proceeded then to miss, miss at second stage. So without that, who knows where I would have been today. Mm. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? We, we, I think we see a lot of goal, you know, the, I think at the end of the day, talent does shine through in the end, but there is a, an element of taking advantage of opportunities. You say that you've got those free invites because if you'd gone to, you'd not got through second stage at Q school and, and you couldn't get your status that way, if you'd not had those free invites, something could have been very different for you in the first couple of years of your professional career. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think I always sort of like when I speak to kids these days and guys that were trying to make it as a, as a professional and have a career in golf, it's, it's, I always say to them, like, there's so many guys that are so good these days and they're always there the guys who are get who get on tour say quickly are the guys who take their opportunities they'll have everyone's going to get an opportunity one way or another it doesn't matter who you are how you know whether you're sort of on your own or whether you're with a management company or whatever you're going to get opportunities and if you don't take them when you get them it's, it's going to make life really difficult and i know that's a lot easier to say than it than to do but it's true you know these guys who are coming through now at 17 18 19 years of age they're just grasping it with both hands they've got no fear yeah and i think that's that's the thing isn't it i think now it's kind of and i don't know if that even if like technology plays a point in that you can see you've got your numbers and you've got your things like track man for certain levels of players that you've got the confirmation there and, and you've got things that instead of someone a coach saying to you right hit it this way and, and you have to learn from the ball flight yourself you can you can see where you are exactly up with your game and i like what you said about taking your opportunities because as soon as you got onto that challenge tour you didn't uh, didn't waste any time did you you had two victories in the first season and uh, won the order of merit that must have been incredibly pleasing you know to one parlay the the three events into a card and then obviously to then get the european tour card straight away yeah yeah i think again rolling into <clears throat> i think i went down to australia and played a couple of events uh on tour i think was it that year or the year after? i can't remember now anyway um, but during that winter, yeah, just to sort of keep me going until challenge started. I think we started in South America. I think it was Kenya and then South America at that mm. point. Um, and then, yeah, seven events in, um, managed to win in Belgium. And then two weeks later, win again in, in France. Uh, but I think I led the order of merit pretty much from then on. So, yeah, it, it was a, mentally, it was, I always felt like I was plenty good enough, you know, to compete on challenge tour. Like even going, turning pro and getting out there, all I wanted to do was just beat everyone. It was, it, I guess it was just a, you know, a, a confidence probably from, from playing at such a high level in amateur golf to then going and and getting wins early on on Challenge Tour. Even finishing third, probably you go back to the season before and I got the invite and finished third in Germany. Yeah. It, it made me realise, I think that probably made me realise more than anything that I was plenty good enough to play at that level. And then I just rolled with it the following year and it became sort of, yeah, just go out and do your thing and, and it'll be it'll be plenty good enough. I know, obviously, it's an important learning curve, but did it almost feel like it was a season that was in the way of you eventually reaching European Tour, which was your ultimate goal? Did you feel like you were almost even good enough to go on a European Tour straight away? Um, I don't know. It's a, Obviously, hindsight's a, a, a funny thing and I think Challenge Tour definitely set a great it definitely stands as a great breeding ground for, for players um 
I hope it continues to blossom. Obviously, this at this point in in time, it's it's difficult to sort of they're losing quite a lot of events last year and the schedule. I don't know how it's looking this year, but they've got a full schedule as far as I know. But it's a great breeding ground to learn how to win and to learn how to to compete and and to sort of battle to get you play for your livelihood and it's 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 pressure it's it's financial pressure it's this all sorts of factors that you've got to be able to deal with to play at the top level and it, it's not just as easy as going out and playing good golf because there's other things that get in your mind that that can start to start to really influence um your progress um and and it, it can can get quite difficult to speak into the guys who are playing euro pro for example as well it's it's tough um, but for me, for me um, I think that year on Challenge Tour was was definitely something I needed before getting my card in 2009. Yeah, so I mean, you... Sorry, Tom. I mean, it's just that win in Belgium, you're up there all the way. You have three birds in the last four holes. Um, and then when you win in France, you, you hit a 36-foot birdie on the final hole as well. So there's, you know, there's some, you know, large kahunas there, isn't there, really? Um, and really, that's that's that must just give you amazing confidence. Just quickly... When you went to, um, was it Kazakhstan? Yeah. Where, um, where I, I think you do mention in one of the interviews that you're looking for the third win, even though you are likely, providing you, you hit, you know, you get a couple more good results to get to make the top 15. Um, getting that three wins is always special. Did you feel any pressure at Kazakhstan? Because you were right there to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to win the tournament and to, to get your third win, an automatic promotion. Was there any pressure, extra pressure on that event or... Or was it, you know, just another event because you felt as though you were there anyway? Um, yeah, there probably was. I mean, uh, God, it's 15, nearly 15, yeah, what, 13 years ago now. It's a long time ago. <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, going back, it, it was definitely something. It was a goal of mine after winning that second one. It was definitely a goal of mine to get that third win and get the the battleship promotion, as it was called back then. And you you sort of managed to get straight up on tour um, after three wins on Challenge Tour. Um, so that was in my mind um, to be to do it. Obviously, the pressure that goes with that um, probably did play on my mind. I remember did I finish fifth that week or fourth? Yeah, fifth. fifth. Yeah, fifth. Yeah, fifth. And then I think I finished second in China the week after as well. You did. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Second and then fifth. Yeah. 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 Uh, was that the week before Kazakhstan? Yeah, was week it? before. China? Yeah, it was week before. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, there was plenty of chances there that I had to to really you know well to to gain that promotion and. Um, I think by that point it was there was a, I remember Taco Remkes, I think he finished yeah. second. Will, Will Besling was he third? Yeah, he was up there. Uh, yeah. yeah. So there was there was a right ding dong battle going on between us, and I think Taco actually won one of them. Did he? Did Taco win China? I, did. I think he did win. Yep. Yeah. So uh, no, maybe maybe won the um, Chinese one, didn't he? Later. Right. But yeah, it was um, yeah there was definitely a bit of added pressure. I have to say, it, it was it was something that it, it, I guess it just you know any any week, any any sort of chance you get to to progress and to to accelerate your career, it adds pressure to to every situation. You you, you mentioned you mentioned um, other things playing on your mind. So how important are people like sponsors and the management team so that you can be you know you can just go out there and play golf rather than you know because obviously as you say it's your living, isn't it? Um, and you are there to make a living and to progress. Um, how important is a, is a good management team, good sponsors, that you can leave some of those worries behind and, and just play the game? Yeah, that, that was something I had. Uh, I think the, the biggest, the overriding one is, is going to be the financial side of things. Um, turning pro, 
you know, thinking about going and playing main tour, even, you know, at the time when I did, I didn't have any, th- any money. It's like, how, how am I going to afford this? Knowing it's 80 grand to do it properly. Mm. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, right, okay. So obviously with ISM, uh, they managed to get me a couple of sponsors. It's given me like, I don't know, 20 grand maybe to start with. Um, and then before you know it, I've won in, uh, one challenge tour in uh, Belgium and then again in France. And all of a sudden it, it becomes a different mindset because you know that that sort of arm is taken care of. So, yeah, it's 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 very important, I think, um, when I think back at it, quite nice and quite easy, if you like, to an extent, but probably earned that in a way too. Um, but to, to try and take that, to try and take the pressure away um, is, is definitely beneficial because you need to just focus on your goal. You can't have anything like that um, influencing how you play because then potential doesn't really come out. Yeah, so you didn't waste any time once you got onto that European tour either. Uh, you finished second in Malaysia uh, very quickly, and you know you were—I think it was six shots back after 54 holes. So you know you knew you had to go for it in that final round. You shot 64, and in the end, I think it was Anthony Kang had to birdie the final hole to actually uh, prevent you getting into a playoff. What was the the feeling there that you know? Because obviously there's disappointment in the fact you didn't get it done, but the fact that you, you shot 64 on the final day knowing you had to go low and actually come within one shot, it must have been generally very pleasing going ahead. Yeah, um, a, a sort of a, a, it would have been a backdoor win, I would like to sort of call it. <laughs> Shooting a low, low round on the Sunday and not really been in contention. It's nice to sort of come up behind people and, and sort of pick one off. Um, but yeah, no, like you say, Anthony Bird did the last, and it would have been great, you know, almost it was probably my again sixth or seventh event on tour at that point and again to sort of to compete and, and finish so high in a European tour event which was a pretty good feel I think I think Malaysia always attracted a pretty good feel even back then um yeah it was it gave me a lot of confidence going going into the rest of the season yeah and then you you know you parlayed that into another good run of form you played 23rd in Portugal 12th in uh, again in Portugal again 8th in uh, Spain and you know all of a sudden you're I suppose you've gone from kind of like uh, a prodigy, if you like, or a newcomer to very quickly settled into European tour life. Yeah, I think I was probably after the second place in, in Malaysia, I was really, really sort of trying to chase that win down quite quite strongly. And yeah. I felt like I was good enough and obviously just missing out gave me the taste of it. Um, and then I can I could really sort of press on and obviously had some good results and uh, yeah, it's it's a funny it's a funny sort of time then because I didn't really think about anything. I think when you're young, you you're fearless, I suppose, and you just you go out, you know what you can do. And um, my strength was was put in, and you know I probably wasn't the best tee to green back then, but I managed to sort of hit it in the right places and, and old putts when I needed to. So um, I always knew that because of that, I could compete, and if I got if I got a chance, I'd be able to pick one off. Yeah, and we, we sort of talk about it now. We've, we've come to more experienced players that have, unfortunately haven't got a win on tour and, and they come into the frame and, and there seems to be an element of scar tissue there. You know, they've been doing it for 10 or 15 years and not managed to get over the line. It must have been really, you know, important for you then in 2010 to, to get that first victory and uh, and get the ball rolling early on. Yeah, it was. That was a yeah, big win. Probably the, the sort of one that stands out of, of the four, if you like, um, you know, to get that to get that first win is always nice and you know in a, in a funny sort of way then to do it again is is even nicer and it, it just shows that the first one wasn't a fluke as well yeah. so you know there's lots of guys who have won once but there's not very many once you start to go to multiple winners 
there isn't you know the list gets shorter and shorter so to be you know a, a multiple winner on tour is, is very pleasing to show that you know i've got the game to do it again and again also i think just before that win that you had um you actually were second in the italian open and i think it was anderson head had a six shot lead going into the final day um, and I think you were seven back, but you you just went out there and like you did in Malaysia as well. You just shot as best as you can. Um, I think you birdied two of the last three holes as well. How how again? You know, not to sort of relate to the same point, but it must be confidence building that you you gave yourself such a chance and performed so well on the final day, shooting a low number. Yeah, I always had that mindset really of of going out and just doing what I needed to do. Um, you know, if, if the lead was multiple times now in my career that there's been someone who sort of ran away with it and I knew I needed to get off to a quick start to put a bit of pressure on and, and more often than not, I've, I've been able to do it. So, you know, um, to go out and put that pressure on and make it exciting, not just, you know, as, a, as an event more than anything, um, yeah, was was really pleasing. Unfortunately, yeah, you say in that Italian Open, just, just a bit, uh, just probably too many shots back in the end. Yeah, absolutely. But then, like you say, the uh, the International Open in Germany, you know, to have three rounds of 67 to finish off that week and, and just to edge out Ross Fisher by one who had won at that stage already, that must have been, like you say, just just everything you needed to kick on. You said you were in a pursuit for that win. It wasn't a case of settling for being good enough to be on tour. You wanted to get that victory and and you know just sets you up and and to do it in such fashion against such talented players must have been really pleasing yeah it was uh i remember that being a bit of a um a bit of a backdoor win as well if you like <laughs> um because i remember going down 17 knowing i was two shots back um i managed to birdie the last uh so part 17 birdie the last and i was still a shot back knowing that you know it, was, it wasn't that difficult to finish 16 and 18 two birdie two great birdie chances um and then Pablo, I think it was Pablo Razabal and, and Bradley Dredge, yeah, I want to yeah, say. Yeah. Um, I think they double, both of them double 16 to go back to 17 under. Um, and then I was all of a sudden leading the tournament. So, like, out of the blue, it was almost like I'd gone from looking for a top five to, to sort of, like, I'm leading here. So, and I think Ross Fisher might have even eagled the last, did he? Or did yeah, he have a chance? Did. Yeah, he did, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I remember quite a lot of stuff about that day, and uh, not just that, but uh, England losing five one to Germany also. <laughs> yeah, because um, they moved up the tea times, didn't they? Was it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think they crazy. did. Yeah, yeah, to accommodate it. So yeah, they had a big screen up on the on the 18th hole, and everyone watched it in Germany of all places. <laughs> yeah, you don't need that, do you? <laughs> um, you talked about the second victory, David, and how important that was to you. Um, it come it come in Morocco. Uh, the trophy stand tied for the lead going into Sunday and you open birdie hole in one um, that must be a hell of a feeling it must, it must take a, a bit of pressure off straight away yeah you sort of know it's your day when stuff like that happens <laughs> don't you um, but yeah no jumped into a, a decent lead then and then yeah managed to did I win in a playoff that year or not yeah, yeah I did didn't I yeah. yeah I managed to make a right mess of that too um, but yeah yeah, it was, um, it was a, obviously off, off to a great start. Golf course, it was fantastic. One of the, It's a shame we don't go back there now. But, um, yeah, it's very, very unique type of golf course. A lot of raised greens, not very long, always windy. So, you know, really sort of played into my hands. And I've had good results there, I think, every year since uh, going since winning that. Every every year we went back, I think I finished pretty much top 10 every year. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, to to like I said, touched on before to um, 
to sort of win again and to show that the first one wasn't a fluke uh, was extremely pleasing. What, 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 sorry, Tom. What are you feeling, right, <laughs> as you're one ahead, down the 18th, right? Obviously, you double 18. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for yeah, Sorry. So, no, <laughs> you've, got, you've got the trophy. So we were going to get there. <laughs> yeah, there's no, you know, there's, there's no pictures on scorecards, right? So you double 18, and and the mighty Reese Davis um, has got what they say is a four footer, but wasn't. It was about two and a half um, to win it. What are you thinking at the time? You must be really seriously down in the dumps. You had the you had the event in your hand, yeah. and you've got you've got you know one of the best putters in Europe easily. Um, with a three, four foot putt to win the tournament, you can't keep. You can't be thinking that you're you're on a playoff. Were you watching it, or were you getting ready for a potential playoff? I think I probably was on the range. Yeah, I you're mean, I'd probably okay. if I'd been told that he was fairly close, and you know, I'd pretty much given it him. Uh, but yeah, it's for him to miss, and then yeah, to go down the 18th. Absolutely. I think I, I think I hit it in the same spot on the playoff hole as I did in the fir- in the regulation play as well. Missed it short right there to a right pin that was just suicidal. You can't miss it there. Um, and then I did it again in the play- first playoff hole and, and managed to sort of, I think, I think Reese was it just two of us in a playoff there? No, there was, um, yeah, Jaco Van Zyl, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I missed it there. And I think I played an unbelievable shot the second time round to make four to extend the playoff. Um, and then, yeah, second playoff hole. Um, I nearly did it again, but managed to catch the slope this time on the edge of the green. And then it rolled around to about three feet and, and hold it for Birdie to win. So, yeah, but go, going back, I'd ever, you know, I've been double the last as well. I felt bad enough without sort of then, um, yeah, so Reese sort of holding that putt would have been would have been a bit of a bit of a blow. But yeah, he gave me a lifeline and I managed to take it. And you have the, you have, sorry, Tom, sorry, you have these repeat performances at these same courses all the time. So even early on from 08 through to 11. You can see, um, you know, uh, Morocco. You can see the Spanish Open, wherever it's held, the KLM, wherever it's held. Um, obviously, they keep moving it. Wentworth. You have these same courses that you repeat the form on and on and on all the time. Um, I mean, is it a feel? Do you look at the calendar and go, um, oh, I'm really looking forward to go there? Is it a feeling as you get to the course? Or is it just a natural thing that the, the course suits your game? Yes, yeah, I think it's definitely certain types of courses that suit my game. Obviously, I'm not the longest. So I need a golf course that's sort of reasonably firm, um, quite short, quite sort of like positional as well to an extent into greens. You've got to hit it into the right spots. You've got to miss it in the right places. Um, I'm definitely not a fan of, you know, the modern type golf courses, which are just sort of 7,600 yards and mm. wide fairways and big greens. And, you know, it's just not not my sort of, I've got to play so well, not hitting it very far to sort of compete in those. But yeah, and then there's, there's certain countries as well i think like you touched on there klm open in holland is there's certain type of golf courses that they always seem to sort of play on they just seem to suit my game you know it's it's i guess that's just what it is and i do tend to pick out obviously you sort of got to look at, at points and and world rankings and stuff like that as well throughout the season you can't miss certain events but i definitely try and sort of focus my attention on on certain places that um that definitely suit my game how hard is it to try and peak for those weeks? Because obviously, you know, you want to play well every time you tee it up, but there are, like you say, you know there's limitations as to where, even if you're playing your absolute best, people are just going to have a, an automatic advantage due to limp. So how important is it on those weeks where you don't really expect to maybe get the victory, that you sort of get your get your good golf going, get into some form, ready to go to the weeks where you know, okay, this is where I can make my money? 
yeah, it's just um, yeah, I think it's just a feel good factor. It's it's a comfort knowing that you know I feel like I'm on an even playing field with everybody. Um, and yeah, I guess you draw an experience too if you've been there in the past uh, and done well there. It's sort of nice to know that you can do well there, and it gives you confidence to then go and do it again. Um, yeah, I don't know really. It's an interesting one getting your game ready for sort of those weeks is isn't something I focus on so to speak. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that, um, yeah, I seem to be able to do quite well. And I suppose, well, we know that you kind of have a good attitude because all of your wins seem to come either off the back of a, a run of missed cuts or, or a run of bad finishes. And yeah. to me, it kind of just, it, is it a case of it comes out of nowhere or is it a case of, right, well, those, those tournaments just didn't suit and you know that you've got something... You know, even though the results don't say everything, you found the feelings. Like, for example, you had two miscuts before you shot a 61 in, in Saudi, but you found yeah. the feeling the day before. Is it is it pleasing to you, looking back, that you know that you can just turn it around on a, on a dime and as long as the course sets up well for you, that you can get out there and win? Yeah, um, if, I, if I go back to sort of early in my career, I felt like my game probably wasn't consistent enough and it was a, not a coincidence, I suppose, but it was you know, sort of almost probably stumbled across a feeling that week that I've done well, having missed three, four cuts. I remember, I think BMW, the first win was four cuts missed as well. Yeah, yeah, and they just stumble across a feeling. Usually it's really simple, like rhythm, and I sort of sometimes lose sight of the simple stuff, which I think a lot of people can sort of get into, you know, just sort of being too technical. Um, But yeah, no, I think it's just a little bit coincidental when, I think it also, it makes me realise, I suppose, um, going into weeks where I know I can compete that I need to get my game ready and, and then freeing things up and just letting rhythm and timing and, and sort of natural ability I suppose just take over a bit more um, I managed to feed off that really well and, and managed to transfer it into, into good results good performances yeah completely don't want to bring up another sort of bad memory if you like because Jason's <laughs> just thrown in that double bogey on the 18th but 2012 <laughs> seemed like an uncharacteristically disappointing year for yourself like you never you never used to be one that missed a lot of cuts even if you weren't you know contending and you missed quite a lot of cuts that year didn't have any top tens was there was there injuries that year was it just a loss of form or can you remember about that far yeah can it was it was a it was a year where obviously having the comfort of the win and the, the exemption i think i remember thinking all right i need to because as i touched on before i didn't really feel like my game was good enough then to be consistent yeah and like I suppose with the results and the miscuts and stuff before that, it sort of backed it up. Um, so yeah, 2012 was a bit like, all right, I need to sort of sort this out. Uh, I feel like I can be so much better, and I need to sort of do some technical work and really grind it in. And I ended up almost trying to do it whilst I played, which I think to an extent you have to do. Um, but yeah, it was that that was the real sort of reason when where my form sort of dipped there, probably for the next couple of years. I was trying to improve and that's you know sometimes it can show in in the results that you're almost working at stuff uh, or that you're playing badly yeah. but as long as you know yourself that you, you're making progress and you're doing things for the right reasons you've got to sort of go with it and, and really commit commit to it if you're going to try and make a change yeah well, I remember speaking to Ollie Wilson about this and he was trying to make sort of swing changes it's so difficult to make a swing change you know going from one event to the other and you're, you've got sort of Monday through to Wednesday if you haven't got a program where you can kind of work on those swings and you, you might be able to fly your coaching or whatever but it's so hard to be able to do that and compete at the same time and I guess you just sort of alluded to it there and that's why you kind of 
almost lose a season because you're, you're fighting technical issues. You're, you you know you're on the right path, so there's nothing to sort of... I guess that's where mental comes into place because you can kind of go, right, well, I know I'm working towards the right things. I've just got to not overreact to these miscuts. And I guess that's easier when they're sort of not one after the other. There are some good bits in between. Yeah, um, I think if I compare, say, go back to that 2012 time, I think if I'd known then what I know now, I'd have been a lot more structured with how I went about it. Yeah. Because it's so easy. If I think back to, say, you know, I don't want to bring stuff up that you're probably going to talk about later on, but, you know, lockdown last year when I had that three months off Hmm. and I felt like I had the time then to sort of like practice without consequence. And when you're trying to change moves and you're trying to improve technically, you need that freedom of not caring where the ball's going to actually make changes. So trying to change whilst playing is really, really difficult. And if you've got the time to sort of, and you know what you're trying to do, I think if anyone wants to try and change something drastically, then take it away from um, tournament golf and just literally beat balls into a net and you don't care where the ball goes. You've got to have that separation between, right, I'm doing performance work now or I'm doing technical work and I can't react to where the ball goes. Yeah, I completely understand that. Jason, we, we noticed, didn't we, David just said there that it was a couple of years where he sort of struggled. There, there wasn't um, any wins in between 2012 and 2013, but we picked up, didn't we, before David came on, that there was a run of three events at the event for Trophy Hassan and, and Open de Espana, where there was sixth, second and fourth. Just want to talk a bit more about that. Yeah, they were great. I mean, um, obviously at the, um, you know, Hassan, which which you've mentioned, you love that again. It's another repeat performance. You know, you lead the putts per greens and reg putts per everything. One putts, the eighth in scrambling and first in birdies. So was that a, a result of what you were working on in 2012? Um, well, I'd say that there's nothing there that you just said that sort of is relevant to, to ball striking. So it was, it no. was almost like... I, I found my, I got my eye on those greens as well. So, you know, in, certainly in um, in Morocco, uh, those greens, obviously, I've put in well in the past and I see the lines really well. So it'd be interesting to sort of bring up stats in terms of long game and, you know, yeah. iron play as to whether it was, you know, because I've put in so well that I did well or whether it was a combination of the, of the two things. I'm not quite sure. Um, but, yeah, so generally, if I had a good week, I felt back then, that it was it was generally just down to scoring and, and sort of scrambling. Yeah, absolutely. And then you go into that open de Espana and you, you finish fourth. Um, you're three back going on to the final day and you shot a plus one. Really tough conditions in. And you only missed out on the playoff by one. How how good is it to come back close after, like you say, a year of, of really grinding on your game, uh, maybe even a little over a year, really, really working on technical abilities and then just to be able to get in the hunt again, which... To be fair, you've been used to for the large part of your career up to that point. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, it's nice to, to sort of get back into contention and to, to have chances. Um, yeah, I think largely, I, I definitely felt like over those two years, I got more consistent. I probably didn't, I probably didn't know enough then, I suppose, to know what I needed to get to and what worked for me. But the, the work that I'd done, obviously, to see it start to pay off is it's obviously very pleasing and um yeah, even in tough conditions as well, it's always harder to to sort of like think about stuff when you play. So, you know, you freewheel a bit more and, and your subconscious takes over to so to see 
that hold up under pressure at the top of a tournament in tough conditions was was pleasing. Yeah, and say so the rest of the season was you know largely positive. Seven more top twenty fives. Are you speaking to your consistency there? Get to the the tour championship. What are your thoughts then going into two thousand and fourteen? Obviously, you know we'll come to the victory at the Russian Open. Did it did it feel like you then need to go you know up it again from the consistency factor and finding your your consistent levels to actually get another win on tour? Yeah, it's definitely constant. You know, always trying to improve, always trying to feel like I could get better. Still felt like there was too many loose shots in there. And yeah, it was just an ongoing process then. And obviously working with my coach, I think at the time was Mike Walker. Um, I sort of, you know, really found that the stuff we were working on made a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, to, to then go into um, 2014 and, and obviously I think I had a bit of time off then before that win in Russia. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was it was nice to sort of have that time off and and go into you know go into Russia. I took a pal, my best pal actually, James Westwood. He uh, he carried for me that week in Russia, which was you know which was nice. It, it relaxed me as well. Like it, I always find nowadays caddies caddies are much more of a you know you see it with a lot of players. You know, there's so many players now who've got friends on the back that work so well together because there's it's, caddying has has evolved quite a lot from a caddy telling you sort of how far it is, what shot to it, what club to it, all that. It's now more about knowing you as a person and becoming a psychologist as well. Yeah. I so it's just... I completely agree with that because there's been a lot of um, a lot of players have been criticised. You know, Rory McIlroy was criticised for bringing one of his friends on the bag. Uh, you know, dusting with his brother on the bag, and eventually, over time, you can see it's paid off. And I think that there's so much more to be said. Like you say, it is a, a psychological factor and a comfort level because, as I spoke to Billy Foster before, and he said that basically the 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 information that caddies have got now is is so good that as long as you have an inner workings and, and knowing of the game, like your friend would have done. You know, it is a case of the the comfortability and everything like that can actually take you further. And I think that some players benefit from not having such an experienced and older caddy on the hand, but maybe puts a bit more doubt in their head as opposed to a mate that you're really comfortable with. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a, a comfort factor them knowing you as a person, when to say something, when not to say something. You know, when to crack a joke, when to talk, when to. It's just there's so much to sort of like put a player at ease involved with the caddy these days that um yeah it's i think it's the evolve the involvement's just got to an extent like you said that billy touched on the you know the, the information that we get now you could literally turn up sometimes on a wednesday night and play thursday without even playing the course the information yeah. we get it's incredibly detailed and it, there is literally no stone unturned so the the caddy's role's definitely um evolved and changed over the years to um to become more about like how well you get on with them rather than how good they are as a caddy. Yeah, and you speak about you having that bit of time off and, and I think that probably was was afforded to you uh, between that before the Russia start because of such a good start to the season. You, you had back-to-back top 10s in Africa and you had a really good chance at the African Open in the end. I think you, you finished tied third there. Um, you birdied four of the last six holes to finish just one shot behind. Uh, did, was it because I think it was the third round you shot a 70 and you were sort of four back of John Hart at the time did you just try and push too hard on a moving day to, uh, to sort of not say cost yourself the tournament but kind of put you out of contention going into the final day um, I don't really remember that Africa Open uh, Durban that one uh, ooh, now you've got me now <laughs> but, <laughs> I think it was if I remember yeah. rightly yeah, yeah. again a golf course it suited me um, 
I don't recall, to be honest, like sort of what my mindset was and why perhaps I didn't kick on and, and contend. But um, yeah, uh, it was it was definitely a golf course that suited me. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it just wasn't to be that week. And Jason, we, we, we looked at the Russian Open and, and David won that in the playoffs to Damian McGrain. He just goes through that week, Jason. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, have a bad start. You look like you're under it. And then um, you got birdie par, eagle par, I believe. Chipped in for eagle on the second last hole, I believe, to tie uh, Damian McGrain, who bogeyed the last. And then, uh, obviously, you've got a playoff and, and you, you win yet another playoff. Um, yeah. After three missed cuts, that, that's, um, again... That, that's some real courage, you know, going down the last off of, you know, four or five weeks of, of moderate play. Anything you remember of that? Yeah, uh, only, like I said, really, only the fact that um, did James on the bag. Um, I felt comfortable all week. The golf course was fantastic, actually. Um, really, really enjoyed the course. Almost a bit Augusta-esque on the back nine. Big, tall pine trees and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a golf course that suited me. Um, and I f- must have found a feeling, I think, that week that sort of really helped me keep the ball under control and know where it was going. I think sometimes golf is, is more about not necessarily hitting the perfect shots, but it's more about like knowing where it's going to go. Like if you can stand there and know you're never going to hit it left, um, then, you, you know, you're in a great place on the tee. Uh, you know, even even in, sec- even in your second shots, any shot that you know you, you've not got, you can sort of manage to play away from from the miss then so you're comfortable knowing it's only going to go one direction it's i mean life sorry tom life, life can't be perfect and obviously you can't get top tens every single week of your life but what makes the difference so like tom says you start off with great efforts in south africa and obviously in morocco um at the nh and then there's a period split by a top 10 in, in the line s but um quite a few missed cuts 30 you know tied 49 tied 35 what makes the difference between that opening four weeks that is great and 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 then a, a period of six seven weeks of not so great for them and then suddenly a win is it literally that feeling as as you wake up as you get to a course because because even the miscuts at like the bmw international france all, all courses that we would regard as suiting yourself yeah and then suddenly bang it's just of interest as to what makes you know none of us are none of us wake up the same every day i suppose <laughs> But um, I just wondered wondered what that feeling is that changes in between the two sort of sets of results. Yeah, it's just really when you're working through stuff trying to improve, um, you know, you find different feelings. And some of them work. Some of them work for a time, a certain length of time. Some of them don't work at all. So, you know, it's it sort of like really is, you know, when you especially when you're not as perhaps naturally talented as some players to sort of have it in the slot most of the time, which you know, most of the top 10, 15 in the world, they would be in that place where they wake up and they know what's going to happen. Um, but when you're sort of struggling to, to sort of gain consistency, good ball striking, control your flight, well, it, it definitely flitters between sort of those results. And uh, for me, I think um, at that point, that was the reason why my results were so inconsistent because technically I wasn't in a, in a good enough place. Um, and then you've also got, I think green reading and stuff like that. Some people, even though you know, I feel like I'm a good putter. There's certain weeks that you know you struggle to see lines on the greens, and you and you and if you can't hold putts, you you're never going to compete. Yeah. It's interesting how you remember that Russian Open as well, because you mentioned earlier that the wire to wire victory in Denmark. You actually went wire to wire in Russia as well. I think Did you I? 
tie here. You were tied for the lead after three rounds, and and I don't know if it maybe because because you had a, I think it was a double bogey on the twelfth on the final day in Russia. I don't know if it just felt like you you didn't lead the whole for the tournament. I suppose you spoke about how comfortable you were with your caddy on the back. Maybe you just got into a zone that you weren't kind of used to. I suppose. Yeah, it was. It was just that's all we were focused on, just like on ourselves and going out there and just playing golf and enjoying it. And yeah, I suppose I wasn't really too concerned with everybody else that week. Just trying to, you know, do my thing and and go out and play. I, I don't really remember a lot of the details, I suppose, if you like, around that. Um, perhaps I, I do um, around Denmark a bit more. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it was interesting that you said that. Actually, I didn't. I still even <laughs> now it surprises me that I, was, I actually led every round um, to to then go and, and win. Yeah, absolutely. We go on to that Denmark victory where you, you know you do remember and. How hard is it to play? You built up that lead. Um, you got a one-shot lead going into the final round. You said yourself that it's not the easiest to uh, to go that way. You said you felt a bit difficult to go in the final round, and I think people were just absolutely charging behind you that day. And you didn't have your best, you know, final round in the end. You did end up with a two-shot victory, but was it? Is it nerves, or is it just a? You know, I suppose it is nerves. But how how do you kind of quantify them, and how do you sort of deal with those pressures? Yeah, really just, sorry to keep repeating myself, but really just focusing on yourself, um, yeah. trying to blank that out. I think you almost have to give yourself, to an extent, a scoring target. Like almost have something in your mind that you think, well, well rather than trying to sort of like tread water and, and hope nobody catches you, you've almost got to try and think, well, all right, okay, I'm 12 under. I need to get to, if I can do this, if I can get to 16 or 17, someone, if someone goes and shoots 62, then fair dues you know it's almost like uh, if you can do your thing and somebody else beats it <clears throat> then you can't really complain so that's <clears throat> the, the ideal mindset it's very very difficult obviously to do that um when you're leading a tournament but i think that's something you've got to try and give yourself almost like because obviously it's you sort of when you watch guys who are chasing leads it's so much easier for them to make birdies and to put pressure on the leader than when than it is for the leader to do the same thing. So it's it, clearly a mentality that um, that everybody struggles with, I presume, and it's just who can handle it the best. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was your that was your final victory on tour. But you've had a couple of other opportunities. You're in Turkey, 2016. You got within one of uh, Forbes and Anderson before he pulled away down the stretch uh, to win by two. And also, I just I remember the the Leoness Open. You shot a course record 64 on a Friday, lowest round of the day. Uh, on Sunday as well. You, you missed out by one. Do you remember any of that week at all? Which year was Lioness? 16? 2017, that was. 17, that one. Yeah, was that at, um, where would that be? Diamond? Yeah. Diamond, yeah. Uh, golf course that suited me. Um, but yeah, no, I don't remember an awful lot of it, if I'm quite honest with you. I remember Turkey <laughs> vividly. That was, again, a week where I had to, you know, obviously going into the last day, he was seven shots clear, whatever he was, and he had to put some pressure on him. I was holding the world that first, that front nine on on the Sunday. It was um, it was obscene some of the putts I was rolling in. So, but then you know, again to put pressure on him to to make him you know to ask the question and to get reasonably close and fortunately just falter a bit at the end. It was uh, nice to know that I still had that in my in my locker when I needed it. Do you you've remember? Mentioned, sorry, Tom. You, you've mentioned um, I can't remember which victory it was that that you you possibly should have looked at the leaderboard 
I, I, I've got my notes, like I say, but, you know, Tom will know They're, they are what they are. Uh, that you, you wish you'd looked at a leaderboard b- before sort of going out and, and sort of during play. When you're chasing, do you would you look at a leaderboard, obviously, to know what you're doing or just to have that score in your mind, as opposed to leading when you may not want to look at a leaderboard? I mean, is there a different mindset to, to as you go down the back nine? Um, I, I can't I can't say I can really comment back then. I would have said I'd be more of a leaderboard watcher chasing, for sure. Nowadays, I feel like I'd be a bit more like focused on myself and almost go out and play the course as it is and then perhaps last six if I need to do something special to, to give myself a chance to win, then that would be the time to look. Um, but yeah, I think if you can if you can just focus on yourself and chasing chasing someone down, obviously there's, there's an element of, right, I need to birdie a lot of holes here if I'm going to get anywhere near. So you, you've got to... It's a, it's a tough one to answer without being in the scenario in the situation. Nowadays, I'd be much more inclined to not look but back then, I think I was more of a watcher and, and really trying to get pumped to, to sort of get um, to get as close as I could. Talking about 2017 year as well, do you remember when you were at Himalayan, you had a 54-hole lead and you played with Julian Suri? Um, and he just went absolutely bonkers on the final day. I think he shot seven under. And, you, you know, you didn't do an awful lot wrong yourself. How hard is that when you're in contention and got a chance to win that someone just... I suppose in some senses it's kind of at least they beat you as opposed to you beat yourself. But, you know, it must have been really strange to see someone go that low in, a, in the final round. Yeah, I, mean, you, I think you've got to expect it to an extent. Um, I, I, you can only do what you can do. And if somebody, you know, if you're tired and somebody goes nuts on the last day and manages to shoot six, seven, eight under or whatever, then, you know, you're always going to find that really difficult to beat. Uh so yeah, I think I can't remember what I shot. What did I shoot that day? Sixty-eight, I think it was. Did I? So you know, it wasn't it wasn't a bad effort. It was, you know, it was a decent score. Um, but yeah, it didn't sound like I wasn't. I probably, I think I probably walked off thinking about it, um, knowing that I was never, never had sixty-three in the locker to be able to win. Yeah, and you know, since then, David, you know, you, you spoke earlier about um, sort of modern day setups of golf courses. Um, I guess you're finding it sort of maybe harder and harder to win because they are sort of all going that way and, and it is so much more about distance. I mean, take Saudi Arabia, for example, where you were. Everyone kind of talks about the fact that the, the bigger hitters have got a massive advantage there. Then you, of course, pour in, a, you know, 100, 150-foot putts or whatever it was on that day to, to shoot at 61. How pleasing yeah. is it, I suppose, to be able to contend on those goal courses and shoot those rounds? And I obviously didn't back it out for the three days, but... Do you do you ever, is there any sort of um, you know do you, does it concern you the way it's going and do you feel like you're going to get left behind if you don't do something do you feel like you have to pursue distance or anything like that? I think it's a very dangerous road to go down mm. um, when, when you're not used to it mentally for one. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you also then try and change things, try and get quicker because if you obviously what comes with speed for someone who hasn't got it naturally, you're hitting the ball very hard, and then if you don't start hitting fairways, you can start to, you know, it can start to be detrimental. So realistically now where I'm at, I'm 35 years old. I might gain eight, 10 yards in the next 10 years. If I'm lucky, I'd say if I can gain more than great, you know, I think some of it comes with technique too, Yeah. but mostly it's just about learning to sort of get, get quicker, your body, you know, adapting to sort of the speed, et cetera, et cetera. But 
No, I, I don't think it's something I'm actively going to pursue either. I think it's something that um, hopefully golf courses and golf de- and course design will, will adapt because, you know, they can't keep going longer and longer. It's only going to play more and more into the longer hitters' hands. Um, so hopefully golf courses will become a little bit more, you know, risk-reward, I suppose. And if you want to hit driver, you can do, but there's an element of risk involved in it rather than it just... This is 400, you know, they're going to, going to be playing 520 yard par fours, which is just <laughs> ridiculous. So, yeah, and obviously they're trying to do something about it. I don't think, you know, if you if you wanted to maybe add to the reduction in, in driver length, which they've talked about, I think, when's that coming in officially? I don't know when yeah, it's coming in, but it yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, um, you could probably, you could probably say maybe there's a minimum loft on the club. Yeah. Could, potentially restrict in that way because you don't want to pull you don't want to pull away from the guys who've worked so hard like your Bryson's the guys who hit it a long way it's a skill to hit it a long way you know they've got the speed they've worked on the speed but if they can use that to their advantage then they should be allowed to but not to an extent where it's leaving the rest of the field behind so I'm, I'm a bit sort of torn whether you know which way things are going to go, but I think there's an element of restriction you could bring in, but you're never going to take away the speed that these guys have got. I'm really glad you said that because I think there's there's a way easily of becoming a little bit bitter about it. You know, you know, I can't do that, and it's unfair that they can, and we shouldn't play this, and that's not in the spirit of the game, if you like. I think there's a lot of that to it, and I like mm-hmm. what you said there that you know Bryson shouldn't be uh, held back because he's gone out and done this and and put that into his game. So there is. There is certainly an element. It, it, it's really hard, like you say, to find the fine line between the two, isn't there? I spoke to Richie Ramsey last week, and he said that you have to draw a line in the sand somewhere for it. It's just trying to find. I, mean, I saw even that they were talking about changing tee height and things at the you know maximum tee height. You know, it's, there's so many different things that you could do to bring it in. I suppose the one thing that's probably a positive for you is that the European Tour courses. You know, when you get back to the, the sort of more uh, traditional schedule there are a lot of events where like you say you can make your hay still and there is so much more about just good ball striking p- positional play etc i suppose as opposed to the pga tour if you like yeah um unfortunately not i've played a few majors in america but never played some regular events but yeah i definitely think there's more than enough courses i, c- I feel like i can do well around in europe and you know a lot of the time you know even the longer courses i think it's a lot of it's about setup because, yeah. you know, if you get a long golf course and you're thick, rough, um, you, you've got to sort of penalise the miss. And if you don't penalise the miss, then you're never going to be able to rein them in because they're just going to hit driver everywhere. And have a stick, even if they're in the rough, they're still going to have a distinct advantage. Um, you look at US Open perhaps last year um, on the other side of things. Um, you know, Brighton obviously won that by six, but he didn't win it with length. No, he put he outputted people, and outputted everyone. So, you know, as much as he's, you know, gained all the speed, he, he he managed to sort of win it with a flat stick. So, as much as like you say, he's, he's hitting it so far, it's not necessarily that that won in the won And the that's tournament. the thing, isn't it? Is there is there is misconceptions about how people win. You still have to be um, excellent in all departments, and I think. I think there's there's also a misconception that if you grow out the rough, that's going to help. Well, that's not. It's only going to penalise the shorter hitters, isn't it? Because if you're you know 
I think they only you only might hit one more fairway or two more fairways around, and th- those ones that you miss compared to those, you're going to be sort of forty yards back. It's that's not mm. the idea, is it? I think you know the types of firm and fast, maybe bringing it out of bounds, you know, different hazards, etc. It's just, I guess, because there, there isn't a, a case of being able just to make the courses longer. And that's, I don't think that is the answer. It's just you know what conditions do you think would help a, a golf course would it be just the, the firm and fastness of you know of harder greens etc that kind of levels the playing field a bit yeah um i think golf courses that that have got a lot of dog legs definitely firm and fast is better because you can get in the wrong side of, uh, of flags uh, greens that allow you to tuck pins away um to make it you know more difficult to to sort of get it close not putting pins in the middle of greens so yeah firm is obviously preferable but conditions sometimes, um, you know, they determine whether it's going to be firm or not. You play a lot of golf in the UK, you're not going to get very firm conditions. Uh, so, yeah, uh, thick rough, obviously, I think it needs to penalise a, a bad shot uh, a little bit more than no rough, um, but making the greens firm so that you can't control it into them from the rough. I think uh, that's a, probably a pretty perfect um, setup. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, any any other order of business for David before we uh, we let him get away here? Well, they should make every player, Valderrama should be compulsory for every player <laughs> in October when it's raining and windy and we'll soon sort them all out. Um, no, I mean, David, obviously we discussed, he went into lockdown last year and, and worked really hard and came back and the results were there. Um, there was no win, but there was, you know, there's some fantastic results there and hoping that it carries on when we go back. Is there any um, course that you're particularly looking forward to? Coming up, because there's plenty there that look that they'll they'll suit down to the ground. Um, apart from the usual, I mean, I, I don't know much about the Canaries, so um, obviously BMW uh, is back at I can read, which is where I won. So looking forward to that. Um, don't know much about Mount Juliet, French Open, obviously. Is, you know, a course that it had a bit of a love hate relationship with that yeah. place for a long time. Um, used to always love going there, but never could get it around it. So that was um, that's always that was nice a couple of years ago to get a decent result there. So yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if if I can if I can just make get more consistent, improve my ball striking, get my ball striking sort of right, you know, where it is now if you if you like, and um, really sort of control my shot shapes a lot better and, and ball flight, then I feel like I can compete most weeks. Yeah. So what did what did you think of the um sort of the, the two week stay at um the courses so we had two weeks in wales that, I, that you only played one in i think am i correct yeah 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 uh, five tied six was a great effort i remember that that back nine on the final day five birdies in a row yeah um, yeah you're closing right up um and then obviously there was two weeks in cyprus um what did you make of that idea i mean i thought they might bring it in i know they've got kenya coming up yeah two weeks yeah. in a row um how did you feel about those two weeks i know we had to do it for certain things but was it was it a novelty for for you, or did you find it actually you know something that you know might be encouraged in the future? Um, I don't think it's going to be something that you know in under normal circumstances will will continue. I think it's very difficult for the venue itself uh, logistically to to change the course enough, and to you know there's obviously then you've got certain courses where you're to the same spot, you're going to have twice as many divots. So there's lots of like logistical issues around it. But I think they've now learned that. Um, Staging the second week on the Tuesdays is far, you know, more beneficial than making guys wait on a golf course they've played already yeah. for the, for the last week to wait again till Thursday. I think to play them back to back, if the course allows, change the setup a bit maybe, 
you know, make a par five into a par four or, mm. you know, just just sort of mix it up to keep it fresh. And obviously Cyprus did that with the format in terms of this showdown format that, that ISM came up with, which I think went down really well from what I can gather. Um, yeah, we really liked it. Yeah, so it's just something different, isn't it? Not just for the players, but for the viewer too. So, you know, th- these these times, it's it's nice to be playing. You know, at the end of the day, we've, we're fortunate to still be playing and traveling the world with all these restrictions. So, you know, if we have to play back-to-back weeks at the same venues, then then so be it. Yeah, I know you bigged up the European Tour on, on a Twitter recently. Um, I think there was three positive cases or something, wasn't there, in... in... You know, three weeks. weeks yeah yeah so so yeah i know you picked them up and and we have to say that you know as pundits and watching it last year and not knowing where it was going they've done a terrific job to get that, that amount of uh tournaments out so yeah fair play yeah it's um it's some sort of operation they run as well you know that all goes on behind the scenes that you know you might not realize watching on tv and you know it can be a bit hard it can be you know restrictive and a little bit frustrating at times not you know being able to do one thing and you have to get your mask out to do this and whatever whatever um but you know it's 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 more important for everyone that everyone stays safe and you know they've they've done a hell of a job of doing that i think it was tough wasn't it i think the ones that was kind of spoken to recently the the bubble life was really hard that you know you're so you're away from your family but you also can't go out and meet the other guys for a, a drink, whatever, in the evening. It's it's you and, and one other maybe that you can kind of spend a bit of time with. But generally speaking, you're just restricted to to the site and things. Like that. I guess that's the toughest thing. That's I think that's probably why we've seen a lot of players take their partners on the bags in recent weeks. Hmm. Yeah, definitely a factor. Um, I'd say you know going literally restricted to golf course and hotel for the week is is tough. And you know it's um, you're only being able to eat with one other person. You just feel like a bit a bit same same and it's nice mm. to have variation sometimes for me personally i like to get away from the event i like to turn the switch off and i suppose in saudi say for example um being restricted to literally being in the hotel and at the course all week if you were leading and you know talking about trying to take your mind off things it, it becomes very difficult whereas when you're in a normal circumstance you can go out you can sort of like you know do whatever with with another couple of players and and sort of really take your mind away from golf and you don't even feel like you're at tournament mm-hmm. so yeah i completely understand that david i think it's fair to say then that maybe you know coming up to the second half of your career now on the european tour um obviously you don't you know don't know what age you sort of intend to play till and things like that but you know you're very experienced now you've got the four victories is there a goal and aspirations in mind would it be playing more major championships or Ryder Cup something like that in you know the second half of your career absolutely um you know I feel like I've turned a corner uh going into lockdown I feel like I've put the pieces together now it's just about sort of learning how they sort of work in a real real life situation if you like so on yeah. course situation I'm really getting comfortable with you know hitting the shots when I need to so I feel like I've got the shots. Um, so if I can continue, you know, on the trend that I am, then there's no reason why I say I can't be back in the top 100 in the world by the end of the year and then, you know, going into next year, the, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, so it must be quite powerful thinking that, that you know, because although, you know, I think you said that you've never felt quite comfortable with your, your T-screen game at certain times, it's never quite been where you want it to be. If you can start adding that to the fact that you, you've got the wins behind you and the four victories, you know that when you get in that contention, you can get it done. It must be a really good feeling knowing that you can sort of merge the two and, and get back into it when we, uh, we get going again. Absolutely, yeah. So, 
um, yeah, to, to obviously still be able to hold the putts and then hit it closer. Um, yeah, so recipe for, for hopefully a lot more success. Absolutely. Dave, we'll be taking a, an awful lot of your time on a Sunday, so uh, we'll, we'll let you get going. I know it's uh, obviously can't go out and do the traditional things, but I'm sure you might have a roast dinner on the go or something like that. So um, <laughs> yeah. we'll uh, we'll let you go. But thank you very much for joining us on, on the podcast today, and uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the season and beyond. Great. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, appreciate your time, David. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.